Connections Cast, brought to you by TDN Australia and New Zealand. Hello, I'm Angus Rowland and welcome to TDN AusNZ's Connections Cast, your weekly window into the trans-Tasman world of breeding and racing, presented by Newgate, raising top-class racehorses. Today's guest is riding the crest of a wave that just keeps cresting. He's at the helm of a stud that has been standing champion stallions for decades, can't remember the last Musselbrook Cup he attended, and has facial hair no razor can tame. Mark Chittick, surely the only thing better than seeing Never Been Kissed's flight stakes would have been to be on track for it. Yeah, it certainly certainly wouldn't have been, uh, it certainly would have been, um, Gus. It would have been incredible to, to have been there. Um, you know, in this day and age, there's a few restrictions as we're, as we're aware, but also it is a time of the year where it's, it's every minute of every day, and, and I love it that way. We, you know, as we talk, we're halfway through foaling, and as we know, things can change within you know within minutes from good to bad in the foaling paddock. And um, also, you know, we just work extremely hard to get every mare and foal that we possibly can. And on Saturday, on Saturday night, you know, um, um, we were back in the breeding shed at eight o'clock with Saverville that night. Might have been a couple of little health and safety sort of risks, but um, we got the job done in a safe manner. Um, it would have been awesome to be there, but it's pretty awesome at this any time of the year, but certainly this time of the year, being at Waikato Stud, getting a, getting a result like that with an incredible team that are working really hard alongside, alongside each other. And for, for those that are listening and wants to see Mark's inspiring acceptance speech uh, from Waikato. Uh, just jump on the Waikato socials for that. But this is why you do it, isn't it, Mark? To have a, a filly, I mean, there's so many storylines here. A filly you own win a group one. First group one winner for a, a stallion you've taken a punt on. And you were telling me before we started recording, a family that goes back decades for you guys. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, Gary, uh, uh it was must have been about just under fifty years ago. Gary, um, you approached Michael Floyd of Wrightson's Bloodstock in those days to wanting to buy a Pakistan mare, and Michael found him one in the United States. Obviously, she was New Zealand bred. She'd raced here. Somebody picked up somewhere that she won her first race fifty years ago last Saturday on the day that uh, Never Been Kissed won the flight stakes. So that was pretty cool. But they. Um, so anyway, they tracked her down and Crazy. brought her through the United States. Um, she had had three foals already. She was empty at the time, and Gary brought her back through um, England, put her to Habat, which um, the resulting foal was a filly, which um, he kept and raced her initially in New Zealand here through Ellen Kay's stable, and she was very, very fast. And then we sent her over. We had a great relationship with Jeff Murphy. Anyway, so that family, crikey, if we wanted to talk all the way through that family, um, I think we produced some 43 stakes winners out of that family. And somebody told me the other day it was 29 or 30 were by the stallions that we've stood. So, and to be honest, that well, straight up, the reason why we still own that filly, she was always a lovely type. She would have been a good advertisement for the stallion at the sales as well. But she, she got a serious, serious foot infection, which actually affected her pedal bone um, as a youngster post-weaning, pre-yearling, 
and it really sort of let's say knocked her back. She spent two months. We spent two months battling, and we've actually just uncovered a video today of her foot at about uh, probably about eight months old um, as we resected it back, and the and the pus just oozing out of it. You know, so we were lucky to save her. It definitely yeah. did affect the pedal bone a, a little bit at the time, but it certainly didn't affect it on Saturday night. No, what a what a terrific result. And you referenced Tavachi too. I mean, when a, a result like this proves your faith in a stallion, that must mean a lot too, right? Absolutely. Um, we've always got our eye out. One of the things that I was a little conscious of, um, and it was pre-Sacred Falls, um, um, early death, was breeding out of a lot of Savabil mares and being able to breed them how we wanted to. Sacred Falls um, was a nice mix, and um, and it's and it's been successful. But I really did think that that, that high chaparral blood um, back over our Savabil mares and the fast neck rock back over our Savabil mm. mares um, would uh, would really suit. And when I went over and saw Tabachi, um, we became involved um, after his first up listed win as a four year old, um, brought into him and and, and was um, were involved in the racing. Um, until until his retirement, um, and when I went and saw him, you know he's 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 a good size horse with a massive amount of muscle. When I say good size, he's probably sixteen one, so he's a big horse with lots of muscle. And I also saw the thought that that would suit our Savo Bill mares. And there was even when we crossed him with the Otto Riley mare, I was a little bit concerned of you know of um, size really. You know, I thought we might be running the risk to get something too big, but he ha- he hasn't really done that. They're, they're good size, you know, big horses with plenty of plenty of um, strength. And um, but to kick it off the way, well, to kick this season off, I just love seeing stallions. You know, you 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 chase these stallions, you do a deal on these stallions, you breed with these stallions because there's something that you really like in them. And mm. um, for them to um, do what they did, like reproduce and um, follow in the footsteps of their fathers, basically, I love that because. Is showing that they are they are strong a strong genetic st- um, horse and um, you know as soon as these Tavachis turn three well since the fourth of August I think he's had nine nine winners in Australia and then 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 a Group One winner on Saturday it's just massive and as soon as he he turned three away he went the thing that's going to be a little bit interesting for me is is you know there's already a couple being mentioned um, for Oaks and Derbies and things and he was certainly a horse that. Was 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 hugely effective up to up to and including a mile, um, but when they tried to get when Mike Moroni tried to get him through to the Derby distance as a three year old, he was certainly less effective when he got over that. That's one of the things that really appealed to us. Um, but it'll be interesting with his progeny. Obviously, there'll be some pedigrees that that do sort of lean that way and suit that. But I really do think we're we're we're, we're dealing with a horse that will leave um, predominantly very very strong, robust fast milers yeah terrific and look returning to never being kissed it must be great to see a filly do that projecting forward as a as a mate for future stallion investment as well and just keep that family rolling because it's a it's a strong family as you said probabils in it you don't have probabil anymore it's it's nice to to have a group one caliber member of that particular breed that's exactly right, and and the mare's it's a first fold out of the mare, um, so you're right. It's it sets it sets things up, um, you know, for the next for the next fifteen or twenty years with a with a, with a bit of luck.
This podcast is brought to you by Newgate, raising top-class racehorses. This year alone, Newgate raised and sold the most Group 1 winning two-year-olds, the most stakes performed two-year-olds, and the most winning two-year-olds of any farm in Australia. This includes Golden Slipper winner Stay Inside, Champion New Zealand two-year-old Sword of State, and Boom Juvenile Profiteer. If you want to buy elite Group 1 speed, buy Newgate. So I've got some stats for you. Since 2011-2012, Waikato Stud Stallions have claimed all the Grosvenor Awards for leading New Zealand sire. Since 2012-2013, Waikato Stallions have claimed all the Dura Awards for leading sire based on combined New Zealand-Australian earnings. Apart from 2009-10, when the Great Zabeel got one, Waikato Stallions have won all the aptly named Centane Awards for leading New Zealand-based sire earnings worldwide. Savabeel is now behind only three stallions on the all-time Grosvenor award-winning list. You're the six-time breeder of the year. You've bred 45 Group 1 winners of more than 80 Group 1 races, and you've been seven times leading vendor at Caraca. That possibly could have been eight, but a smaller draft this year, thanks to COVID and a slight strategy shift to push the brand in Oz. What's the plan for this season, yearlings-wise? I know we're projecting forward. Yeah, goodness me, I've just sort of got to get over a bit of the uh, cold shiver down the spine there, just going through all that stuff there. Um, um, yeah, look, all of those, all of what you've just read out, is, uh, we're incredibly proud of. Um, yearlings this year, um, our, we've still got to fine-tune a couple of little things. Um, I had it certainly set in pretty much stone um, pre this COVID outbreak here, but I don't think it will change things that, we want to have an emphasis on our strengths at Karaka. It is our national sale. Um, and um, it's very important that we have a product here that um, that tempts every Australian possible that wants to race a, you know, a race a middle distance horse um, for all of that incredible prize money and opportunities in Australia. Um, you know, the, 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 the product is here to tempt them to come over. Um, so that was our that is our strategy um, for this year. I've got to say, just over the last couple of weeks, it does make you think: Are people going to be able to come back and and enjoy what we are used to, um, and have been for many years in, in um, New Zealand? I hope that is the case. Um, and and if that is the case, then certainly that that that's the that's the process. We'll 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 have a couple at the Gold Coast. Um, through the Sledmere draft at this stage, we'll have a we'll have a few more numbers at um, Sydney Classic um, and uh, Melbourne, and um, look and a couple looking to go towards um, Sydney Easter. But certainly, um, um, the strength we we want the strength of the draft here to be in Caraca, uh, and and look, we do enjoy selling horses everywhere, but um, we do enjoy taking them to Australia, and a lot of that, a lot of the this year's reasoning for it is just because of the numbers and also the, um, you know, the, the, let's say the management management of those numbers. And it's just not so easy now without being able to get um, our offshore staff and uh, to, to, to help us out with that preparation as everybody's experiencing. Mm, mm. What, what's the Waikato yielding difference? Why are you such a force at the sales? Can you put your finger on anything you're doing differently? I think everybody in this game, um, Southern Hemisphere, but certainly Australasian-wise, 
knows that we're sellers. Uh, we're there to sell. We're, we're there to sell horses, and we're genuine sellers. What you see is what you get. Um, the horses have all been raised, let's say, very naturally, never pushed. Um, you know, we've just just in the last couple of days, we had a foal come through the crush, a little young one. And, uh, you know, there was mention, uh, he's a bit funny in the knee, and there's a bit of mention about putting a screw in it. And I said, look, at the end of the day, I'm just, I just, uh, you know, just the minute we start putting screws in young horses' legs, et cetera, et cetera, I, I think that'll be enough for me in the in the breeding game. Um, right. You get you get what you're given when you're a breeder and you've got to make the most of it. And and we like rearing them as naturally as we possibly can. But certainly once we get to the to the yearling sales, um, as I say, you what you see is what you get. And when those horses go in the ring, um, you know, there's there's 90 or 100 of them coming up. Um, there's another 120 foals in the paddock behind them. So it's pretty important that we um, that we sell. And that is, and, you know, selling yearlings and obviously stallion income, but more so um, now selling yearlings and yearling income is actually what runs our business um that is our that is our main income for for our business so it's very important that we do sell um and look sometimes a horse will go in there and for example i might have a we might have a sort of reserve or somewhere to aim at of 150,000. and i see someone that's bought off us before as a live bit of 120 and um, I put it on the market and, and let's say let them have it. And uh, the next one that might come in, we, we've got it, we've got some the reserve or as we say somewhere to, the, the figure to aim to is 200 and it goes and makes 300. So the hills fill the hollows and you know I've pretty much of all of those um, yearlings that we take to the sales, um, you might as well say all of them are, are owned by ourselves or, or, or you know might, you know there's the odd one that might be a staff member or we might be half and halves in them and that but pretty well we own them ourselves and we're known as sellers and uh that's what we're there for it's a it's a, it's a horse sale so um they're on the market i know the whole top vendor at Caracas things kind of just keeping score for people like me and and for you guys it's about running the business but how satisfying was it the first time you knocked off that farm down the road in cambridge that uh, had had three decades at the top well, as as you know, as we've alluded to already, the key for us is selling racehorses, and the key for us is getting them sold. And I will say, on the first year that it happened, um, it certainly wasn't, and I really mean this, it wasn't anything that uh, that we were thinking about, or that I mm. was thinking about. And I think I can't remember. We had two or three left to go through the ring, and Aidan Rodley, the uh, reporter here, stopped me at the, at the just heading into the box and the back of the box, the vendor's box, and he said. You know, you've you're in front. You've got three to three to sell. Do you think you can do it? And what will this mean to you? And and my my answer was in front of what? What, what do you mean? What do you mean? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, he said it looks like you'll get leading vendor. And I said, oh well, that'd be nice. But I've still got three to sell, so let's get those sold first. Um, but certainly afterwards, look, it meant a hell of a lot to us. Um, it was at a stage where, you know, Lisa was crooked. She was in hospital. She's a big part of the business. And she was, she was ringing people from, you know, from the, from her hospital bed saying that that one hadn't been led through the ring properly. And that one's mane wasn't right. And that sort of thing. So, wow. you know, and afterwards, um, 
it was, let's say, pretty emotional scenes, but Gary did come up to me and shook my hand and just looked me in the eye and said, well, you've done something that I haven't done, you know, and that, you know, like, yeah, it meant a lot. It meant a lot, but that wasn't certainly, certainly wasn't something we were aiming at, but it was bloody nice. <laughs> World champion sprinter Harry Angel, an electric dual group one winner with the precocity to claim the Mill Reef Stakes at two. Time form rated 132, more than star stallions exceed an excel and frosted. A son of outcross sire Dark Angel, Europe's answer to I Am Invincible. With outstanding first yearlings hitting sales rings this season and some of Godolphin's best mares in his early books, now is the time to invest in Harry before his offspring take flight. One of the constants has been the great stallions of Waikato Stud. And I want to look at some of them through the prism of one of the current racetrack stars, Probabile, because she is, her pedigree is the perfect uh, mirror to the Waikato family philosophy, if you like. And we'll work, if it's okay with you, we'll work back through the stallions. She's by Savabile, who is the current man on the Waikato roster. He's been a heck of a stallion. He really is quite an, quite an incredible horse. Um, his father is, is well was an incredible stallion. Um, you know, Savabile, as we say, is an incredible horse, uh, horse to achieve what he's achieved. But 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 you know, let's say his bell curve it, it, it's it's wider with him, which which is the incredible thing. You know, I think off the top of my head, he's. 12 of the 12 of those hundred and whatever um, stakes winners it is now are two-year-old stakes winners, you know, mm. and even just in the press just recently with Mawanga, et cetera, and, and uh, Shane McGrath said, you know, like when you really look at his his um, stats, you know, typically they're, they're miles to 2,000 metre horses, which, which, um, which the Zibbles were definitely a little bit longer. Um, yeah. A little bit further, and I think probably that. Well, I don't think. Obviously, that that uh, Success Express mare that he's out of has probably shortened things up uh, a little bit. But you know, like let's say he does. It's not domination, but his he has incredible success between sixteen hundred and and let's go out to two four. Um, and this this is in a time now that he ha- that he has all of that competition from. The European imports, etc. Mm. Not taking not taking anything away from Zabil, but he did dominate that that era um, or that, that those distance races in that time, and he was he was a he was an Australasian stallion and only competing against Australasian horses. So, what Zabil's achieved is incredible. Now, going back to um, going back to Probabil, you're right. She's through and through. She's third generation. Original Thornton Park, then um, then Waikato, uh, Waikato stud bred, um, and um, like oh, I'm incredibly proud of her. Um, um, you know, we do go about keeping um, fillies out of our, our mares, our replacement mares. We race them ourselves, um, and uh, you know the the. Um, Brendan and Joe have had, had and having an incredible uh, run with her, but she was a filly that I was extremely reluctant to take to the to the sales of that year. And um, right, a couple of my uh, couple of my head staff 
um, let's say, twisted my arm into it, and they were two uh, 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 girls that were um, involved in the yellings, and they were obviously they that's their job, and they they were really proud of this filly, and they wanted to take her there, and they said to you know they said there's only three weeks beforehand, I still wanted to withdraw her and keep her. We'd lost the mare. Well, she, she'd only had the two foals, and we'd already lost the mare with laminitis, which was. Um, which was even more reason to keep her, but they said to said to me, "Why don't we? Why don't you take her up there and you put a reserve for five hundred thousand on it?" Which, to be honest, is not really our style. And if she doesn't make it, bring it home. So, look, she must have been on the sort of let's say the second day of the sale or whatever. And uh, when when um, David Ellis's bid was at three hundred sixty or three hundred eighty thousand or whatever, she hadn't met the the the, um, the reserve. Um, but we'd done a lot of business with David at that, even at that sale, let alone over the years. And um, so I let let him have it at below. Let her, let him, you know, let him, let him knock it down at uh, below the reserve. And um, went round and thanked him for purchasing her and said, "There's there's 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 one um, rule that goes with this filly. Whenever she finishes her her racing career." I want the opportunity to buy her back at whatever price it is. And um, then the next day, uh, you know, he was um, trying to encourage um, Brennan and Joe to let them let him buy them a filly. And they said, well, we were underbidders on, on one yesterday. And he said, well, why don't you take her? And, of course, that was... Uh, that was my um, contingency plan out, out of the out of the way, and uh, you know the rest is history. She's been an incredible, well, is being an incredible racehorse, and she will be mm. an incredible race mare. You still have members of the family, right? You've lost far fetched, but that family runs deep in at Waikato. Yeah, we certainly do, and we've got we've got different branches of it, etc. Um, and look, I, I bought uh, I bought Gary out of the Waikato stud business and and land, et cetera, um, um, it's probably about eight years ago now. So certainly there was a, there was a period there where, um, where um, you know, like obviously um, the, uh, the debt ratio was pretty high. And um, mm. so, so, the, so our policy of keeping, um, pe- keeping a good amount of fillies, um, you know, like, um, I sold a few through that period to, to help that situation out, and uh, but but um, I'm trying to avoid that happening again. I can tell you. <laughs> uh, I hear, I hear. Now her damn far fetched. Who we've been talking about? She was by Pins, and I believe Pins. You were the one that convinced your old man that he was. This was one of your first sort of dad. We got to get this stallion moments back in the late nineties. Is that true? Yeah, so it was a situation where we, where we took some yearlings to the Melbourne sale and I happened to be on track the day that he won the um, Australian Guineas, which that year was run over uh, 2,000 metres. And I, I went down and just happened to look at him in the birdcage and thought he's a nice, muscular, sort of attractive type of type of horse. And um, then he, he, he obviously raced on and... Um, he had a bit of heat and he'd gone up to Sydney he had, and he was lining up. I can't remember the race he was lining up for, but obviously it was all a group one racing and he had a little bit of heat in a tendon, I, I, I gather. And um, Michael Otto, actually uh, agent from over here who looked after Maury McLeod's interests, um, rang Gary. Oh, sorry, sorry. I got back from the 
from the trip to Melbourne and said, that's a horse we should buy. And uh, I loved snippets back then. And um, anyway, so then when he had a bit of heat in the tendon, um, Michael Otto rang Gary and said, would the horse like this be of any interest to you? And Gary said, well, interestingly enough, um, yeah, Mark came back from Melbourne and, and said he's a horse we should buy. And he said, well, he might be available. And uh, we were um, we had yearlings at the at the Sydney Easter sales, but at this at that stage of of let's say my um, stage of life, I was actually quite involved in the, the rugby scene around here, and we had a couple of big games on. We only had a couple of yearlings going over there, so um, Gary took them over, and uh, with a team, and I stayed back to play footy. And um, he went and looked at the horse and rang me and said, "Look, I." Drove out there with every reason not to buy him, but after looking at him, there was no reason not to, you know. So, you know, one thing went to another, and and uh, he was he was just a horse that he was an, he was a bloody great stallion, but he I just I just absolutely I mean I love them all, I love all the stallions, but I particularly loved him because he was such a character. He had he had a real personality, and he was great to work with, and he was just a really good stallion to us. Oh, he's a total legend, and I think possibly left in the shade a little bit by his barn mates, possibly unfairly, because he was really a global stallion, wasn't he? I mean, the Hong Kong thing in particular, pins, the pins really went well over there, in particular his champion, Ambitious Dragon. Absolutely, and uh, look, you could always sell them, um, you know, you could sell them here, there and everywhere, and uh, Phillies, you know, we raced legs by him, etc., and, and, and won multiple group ones, and um, he was just a he was just a really cool horse, and you know, uh, what, so that must have been about um, twenty sort of four or five years ago, and uh, yeah, we paid one point I think it was one point five or one point six million Australian dollars for him. Now, how things have changed! <laughs> oh, have they ever? And the other thing is, you probably wouldn't have got in, gotten him after the guineas. Nowadays, you'd have to invest in him as a two year old to even get your foot in the door, right? Yeah, we certainly know all about that. And I think that's one of the, let's say, the unfortunate things that have changed in the game because, um, you know, back in those days when we'd bought pins, like why could I started fired their shot? And then, um, you know, one of the other studs over there would sort of, let's say, take up the next opportunity. And so they'd fired their shot and everybody got their turn, you know, um, mm. and it was spread around a bit. Um, but, um Obviously now they're uh, you know such a um, such a massively sought after commodity. I think there's a few stallions that are going to stud that that probably don't deserve to go to stud, and um, and and um, certainly the ones that uh, that we're all attracted to. If you have got the opportunity to purchase it, um, you know there's you've got to have plenty of bloody firepower behind you. Yeah, that's the truth. Well, the fact that you even had the firepower you did for pins is probably down in no small way to Probabil's second dam's sire, Centaine, who your dad brought with him when he came to Waikato. Tell us your early memories of that stallion, Centaine, who really was the formative stallion for the Chittick's Waikato. When we came up to up to the Waikato here, um, man, he taught me a lot about, about the management of stallions because down there he was more or less by himself and in his own paddock. And when he came up to Waikato Stud and we bought this place going concern, there was three stallions here at the time. Gordon Cunningham was managing this farm and he stayed on a bit longer to, to um, let's say, introduce us into this into this farm and area, etc. And, and and I still hold that massive regard, having that mm. time with, with Gordon. 
Um, but Sentain went into the uh, general management of the Waikato Stud Stallions, and he did not handle it at all. Like, like we ne- to be honest, we nearly lost him. He he he, he basically fretted and lost weight and wouldn't set, wouldn't settle and wouldn't eat, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and um, so we, we moved him to an area where he could see the yearlings and he could see mares and we ended up running him outside with a, he did, wasn't boxed with a couple of mares more or less right next door to him, just a tree, tree um, race in, in between them. And he was happy, to, he was happy like that because that's how he'd been, um, how he'd been running Palmerston North and, so ever since that day with the management or at that time, the management of stallions, you know, like our stallions get moved um, every six or eight weeks. They just might, there might be a little move next door to another one or to another paddock or to, you know, just we shift them around and shift them around. And I do believe if you start doing that from the word go, you can do it all the way through. Whereas if you don't, that's what Centane taught me. Another little time, another little time we had about um, half a, oh, I can't remember, four or five mares serve one afternoon and four, let's say four of them were walk-ons and uh, the one that we had to serve ourselves was 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 Centane so we got all the walk-ons out of the way and done and I went down to get Centane from his paddock mm, his ears were a bit back and he was a bit grumpy and I thought oh well take him to um, take him to the breeding shed to this mare that usually changes every bloke's uh, attitude and you come out hopefully come out with a smile <laughs> on your face Anyway, he was he was just such a relaxed horse, and he always used to take about um, a minute thirty in the breeding shed, if that. Anyway, I, I took him in there, and his ears were back, and he just got through the door, and he just launched at this mare, and just grabbed her and drove her into the ground, and we all got a hell of a fright because he was just a horse that wasn't like that at all. And I took him out and took him back to his paddock, and I, I've got to say, I was I was shitting my pants, fair dinkum, because um, yeah. he he was not himself. Got back there, and everybody got a fright, and I said, listen, let's just go home, have dinner, come back at 7 o'clock tonight, different change of clothes, and we had and, and, and we had the same mare. I went to get him from the paddock. He was his usual self. He walked in there, he served the mare, and he walked back out, and I put him back in the paddock, and from that day on, we never, I never, ever put him last. He, I just put him like we'd serve the other four mares, and he was the last one to serve that. And he was, he was the older horse, and he was down there watching all this happening and stewing on it. And uh, so from then on, for the rest of us, I don't know what it was, five or six years, every time when we served and when he had one to serve, we served with him first, and and he never ever did it again. Interesting. Have you noticed the same habits with? The, whatever the reigning patriarch is of the, the start at any one time, did O'Reilly display it or does Savabill now? Do they get first dip? O'Reilly, O'Reilly just sort of got on with everything, to be fair. He was, a, he was incredible. Um, um, pins, uh, if somebody turned up to see the Stallions unannounced and they were out on the paddock and we just showed them out of the paddock, if you, if you showed him first, he was great, just up and down and did his usual stuff. If you showed him last, you had he put on a real handful he didn't like being put last like that uh but Savabill these days he just he he knows he's number one he's just he's you know as soon as the camera comes out he basically stands up and pricks his ears because <laughs> he's had plenty of training and um he's a really good horse to breed with and he's just he's just a really cool horse but they are they are they do all have different personalities and by god you've got to be careful with them um, the old story we're all taught never never to trust them no matter how well you know them 
but I do, I do just, I just say to all my young fellas, treat them like one of your mates and like a bloke, you know, like you don't want to step on each other's toes and annoy each other. Otherwise you won't be mates. You don't want everybody scrap because you won't be mates. Um, but you've got to get on and do a job and, and um, be straight up with them. Enjoying the podcast? There's so much more to uncover when you subscribe to the TDN AusNZ Daily Edition. Sales reports, industry insights and interviews, race results with actual pedigree insight, even trivia. Go to tdnoznz.com.au and subscribe now. Coming back to the probable pedigree, let's have a look at the side of her third dam, O'Reilly. Now, this guy, obviously a farm legend, but a lot of people forget what a freakishly gifted racehorse he was. He really was. So he was a foal when we bought Waikato Stud. He, we bought Waikato Stud as a going concern, and he was a foal. And um, he was obviously extremely well bred by Last Tycoon out of out of out of Quartzer, who had won the Golden Slipper. She was one of the she was one of the jewels in, in the crown. Obviously, with us wanting to buy um, Waikato Stud going concern, um, so that we could secure her. So he was a foal uh, when we bought the place. Um, we were getting him ready for for the cracker sales, and he would have topped the sale back in those days. You know, maybe who knows, five or six hundred thousand, which was big money, and we'd taken on a big um, a big punt to to buy this place and buy it going concern. And um, we it was before the days when scoping was routine, and we'd taken some horses to the Gold Coast sale, and one of them had gone to the panel and. So for the, the scoping panel, the Ingham brothers had bought it and um, there was a question mark over him. And anyway, it went through and got passed. But the, Gary said to me when, when I got back from the Gold Coast, he said, maybe we should be scoping that last tycoon cop because it'd be a bit embarrassing if he went through past, uh, sorry, sold and didn't pass. That day, Dave O'Sullivan rang us and, and said, you know, like I'm trying to put a syndicate together to buy that cult. This is him in 10 days before the sale um, can we come out and scope him and do an ECG and our answer was um, well crikey we were looking at scoping him anyway so why don't why don't yeah, that, that'll kill two birds with one stone but let's leave the ECG out of it because um, what else what else are you going to ask for sort of thing anyway yeah. Jim Marks Jim Marks came out scoped the horse and he wasn't perfect he was asymmetrical and um, he pulled the scope out and said, I can't pass him. Now, where, where we'd probably gone down the wrong road right at that point, and thankfully it was <laughs> the end of the best thing that ever happened, um, we should have allowed an independent vet to come out and scope that horse under conditions of sale because he did actually pass under the conditions of sale, but... Marksy came out to take an opinion back to his client and the horse wasn't 100%. So it was, at the time, it was a blow. Um, but um, our choices were to pull the horse out, which is actually what we did, because um, we it wasn't in our nature to take the horse up there and keep it under our lid and have him pass mm. under the conditions of sale. So, Gary, I, I just I remember us both standing there. We said, bugger it, we're going to keep him in race this horse you know we had plenty of offers afterwards to, to buy the horse but anyway we 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 raced him he and we we um and we broke him in over in melbourne we certainly sent him to melbourne to gerald ryan and uh 
he was, and Gerald still says to this day, like like up until only a few years ago, if you if you if you read a profile on 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 um, on Gerald Ryan and he said, and he was asked what the best horse he'd trained, he'd quite often say it was O'Reilly, and he never got him to the races. He used mm. to gallop with with paint and basically leave him in a you know leave him in his in his dust sort of thing. He had him ready to go for the Blue Diamond Prelude, and going onto the track the morning you know not the morning before but a couple of days beforehand he was that well. He read, tipped himself over backwards, came down on his on his hindquarters, pulled all the ligaments in his hindquarters. They nearly put him down on the track, um, but they got him into a float and out to Werribee did a scintigraphy and it just showed all of these hot spots throughout. And they basically said to us, Kim McKellar, the vet at the time said to us, he'll take a year to come right. And when he got to about nine months, um, you know, this was a three-year-old colt that was pretty full of beans and was feeling pretty good in himself. And crikey, you'd go to feed him in the paddock and he'd chase you out and carry on. So we decided to, you know, we might just start doing a little bit of pre-training with him. As soon as we got someone on, on his back, he just went slightly sore again. And Pretty well, it was 12 months to the day. And um, anyway, Dave O'Sullivan sort of approached us and said, listen, I wouldn't usually say this, but would you like me to basically pre-train this horse for you? If he, if he's, if we get him to the trials and you're happy with him, he gets all through that, by all means, send him back over to Australia. So we did, we obviously sent him in there and, um, and um, he trialled and, Obviously, at that stage, he tried so well, we, we, we were never going to take him off DJ. Um, but he went to his first uh, start at Wellington. I, I remember going going and hiding myself up in the blimmin' top of the stand, and, and, and there was so much hype around the source. Anyway, he jumped, and the commentator said, Why, Riley's red at the start, must have jumped by eight lengths. And then he caught the rest of the field. Anyway, he straightened up, and he just let him go, and he just one as he liked and we're like right you know what have we got here then he ran then he won his next start and then dj took him to the bayer classic group one against the three-year-olds and mm. um and lance rode him beautifully that day tucked and they all rode to beat him anyway uh, there was a false rail back in those days and he ducked up the inside of the false rail and won that so dj always believed that he was a better 1200 meter horse that's why he brought him back um to the telegraph and um you know, he won us in a massively head head win. He 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 won out a ticket outside the race record, and then of course we wanted to go to Australia, um, so he, he we ran him in the Australian Guineas, and uh, he ran second to Moorard. Uh, then he went into the new market and broke down suspensory everything, um, made a hell of a mess of it in the new market. We brought him back, and 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 like like. Gary always did say if this horse never made the racetrack, we would stand him at stud because he was such a beautiful horse with a beautiful pedigree. Yeah. But we did get the opportunity to show that. And DJ always still says, like he every year DJ used to come out and take the rug off and he'd give him a cuddle and carry on. And, and he'd just walk away and say, Never saw the best of him. Never saw yeah. the best of this horse, you know? So uh, he was a freak and um he was just on those limited runs. He was New Zealand horse of the year. Um when we stood him at study, he kicked off at seven and a half thousand. You know, it was just about when all of the shuttle stallions started, and we were all told that we would we were dreaming. You know, you had to have these international horses um, if you wanted to survive. Well, we we just believe as a horse is a horse wherever it may be, and when you've got a freakish one one that can win like that, um, as we've seen over the last few years, you know, with these horses with their horses coming down here and 
our horses, you know, Australian horses and, and that going up there. A horse is a horse, wherever it may be. And, mm. um, and uh, you know, so we just, we battled away at seven and a half thousand and I don't know, he served sort of 85, 90 mares and uh, two-year-olds, he had a couple of, a few winners, three winners, I think. And then once they turned three away, they went final destination, won the guineas, the jewel won the guineas the next year and, and uh, away it went. And it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, he was horse of the year, having spent less than 10 minutes on a racetrack collectively. Yeah. He had more drama than an episode of the Kardashians. And then his stud <laughs> career was the reverse. He was a champion sire. There, there's the similarity. But it was a long, consistently brilliant stud career. Absolutely. And what was, it, what was really incredible um, earlier on was, you know, and you, you get this with stallions, everyone's, all these, all these people, you know, uh, experts, you know, and... Um, you get told all these things, and earlier on, it was that, that he left better fillies than than Colts. Well, it was something like I can't remember, like thirty odd out of his first crop that went to Hong Kong because they loved Last Tycoon Blood so much, um, and you know anything that won a trial. You know these these people are these people had fragments they bred them at seven and a half thousand dollar service fee, and they were winning a trial. This is back women twenty five years ago, and getting off at one hundred and fifty thousand after one trial so you couldn't mm. blame them for selling it but uh but um so so many of his males earlier on went up to um up to hong kong so we were told that he was a better philly side than a cult side but i think and by the time we got halfway through his through his career um you know as you say it didn't matter whether it was phillies cults two-year-olds six-year-olds um you know sprinters through to melbourne cup runners you know incredible one of the beauties about him is um he didn't have that massively high price tag that we talked about earlier on in the yarn, and uh, you know there was only one, there was only one uh, share and one one owner in it, and, that, and him and that was us. So um, you know this place has gone from 430 acres that that we farm farmed originally 26 or seven years ago to 1750 now, and a lot of that can go down to thanking O'Reilly and uh, through that period. An elite 259 lots have been catalogued to go under the hammer for the 2021 Facing Tipton November sale. From outstanding champion racehorses to accomplished producers, this year's catalogue is the strongest in memory, with 45 graded stakes winners or producers, 30 of which are grade one. The catalogue for the sale to be held November 9 may now be viewed online, including on Facing Tipton's one-of-a-kind enhanced catalogue. And speaking of enhancements, Facing Tipton will be accepting supplemental entries through the Breeders' Cup. For more information, visit facingtipton.com. Those four stallions we've talked about, Savabil, Pins, O'Reilly, Santane, they sort of epitomise the Waikato mantra when you're selecting a stallion. You mentioned it before, selecting for speed, colonial breeding, potentially, you know, in the face of what was the trend in the 90s. And yet somehow you guys have ended up with the best stallion son of Century, the best stallion son of Last Tycoon, the best stallion son of Snippets and the best stallion son of Zabil. That must be incredibly satisfying. You know, over the years, um, we were certainly told why would you want son of, um, of um, Last Tycoon? Um, 
you know, we've been told, you know, well, Gary says, what, you know, people said to him, why would you want a son of century? You know, but, you know, just recognising that speed. I just, I just love it. You know, like, you know, Ocean Park and going through that, uh, through, through the purchase of him and um, all of those horses. Um, Super Seth just recently in dealing with, uh, with Jonathan Munns and, and we've got massive support behind us. Um, we always like taking 50 or 60% of these big syndicates. Uh, but we've got massive support around us. And when Super Seth came along, you know, two guys I rang straight off, both both just said, we're right behind you, whatever you've got to pay, if you want, whenever you want the money, we're in, you know, um, which is great. And um, yes, there's been a bit of success there, but just there a lot of success. But in the just in the in the recent, when I say recent years, let's say, yeah, Savabil's fifth, uh, sorry, 2020 now, so, if you said 15 or 16 years and including him, you know, we've syndicated and taken over half the ownership um, ourselves in 60 or $70 million worth of stallions. Um, so, you know, there's a fair bit of work that's gone into that. So you do want to get a bit of success. Um, but, it's, look, you know, we, we, we only buy a horse that we absolutely believe in and, we're the ones that are putting the most mares to them, so it's really got to work for us. Mm. And, um, you know, one thing Gary told me earlier on, he said, uh, um, you know, you just you stand a horse that you're proud to lead out of the box because if you're not proud of them, why would you want to sh- show them to, to anybody, you know, basically? So it's all good fun. Yeah, the current roster's so solid. You meant, mentioned Savabil, Ocean Park. What a terrific acquisition he was. Yeah, he certainly was um, tough horse, like really, really tough horse. Five Group Ones. Um, he's a character of a horse, you know. He he doesn't want cuddles from you. <laughs> he just wants to get on and do it. He's he's a tough bugger. Um, you got to watch yourself with him. Um, but whatever he does, he just wants to do fast. Whether it's eat, eat, uh, walk, run, or um, there's a word for it, but we'll just call it the breeding shed. You know, he just wants to do it fast. You know? <laughs> um, now, we talked off the top about Tavachi. Surely his success augurs well for Super Seth as well, right? Yeah, I just love the horse. Um, I know I keep going on about loving the stallions, but, you know, like $15 million Australian purchase, you want to love them. <laughs> um, but, um, you know. <laughs> to buy 15 pins. Yeah, he's a lovely, lovely horse. Just a beautiful horse. It sort of reminds me a little bit of Pins. Maybe it's, maybe it's his attitude. Um, maybe it's his colouring. They're that copper. They're that copper bay. Probably not as sort of heavy as as, as Pins, um, but a lovely, lovely horse to work with. And um, you know, um, he's just leaving with I don't know what we've got on here. Twelve or fifteen foals now, and they just come out with this deep chest um, beautiful muscle great bone and they honestly look like they're 10 day old foals when they're born so um awesome. and he was a he was a good two-year-old you know like he won his couple as a two-year-old and, and very impressively so uh yeah he's going to get every opportunity he got a beautiful beautiful book of mares um last year and and he's leaving great foals so uh so uh you know it's going to be interesting in the next couple of years You've waded into the written tycoon pool with Banquo. How's how are the interest been from New Zealand breeders with him? 
Yeah, it's it's been good. He's a late he's a late addition. Um, I've been in the ownership of him since uh, a yearling. He's a horse that showed that he could. Yeah, he's by the champion sire. He's he's a half to to a sensational Group One winner in Booker. He's got a great family. Um, he's a good looking horse. He was a six hundred thousand dollar yearling, and basically he's cost us no money to to go to stud. We're standing at four grand. Um, mm. we will, we'll give him a chance ourselves. I'll put a dozen mares of our own to him. And, um, look, what I can't tell you what we'll end up saving with him. I, I won't be able to tell you until we save the last mare, but all, all we want to get is 50 odd mares on the, uh, sorry, foals on the ground. And, um, once they get in the barriers as two year olds, you know, whether the stallions had women, you know, got 150 foals or 50 foals. They've all got to stand up for themselves at that stage. And Cent, uh, stood at the same fee. Four grand. He served 43 mares in his first crop. He left uh, 34 foals, and nine of those were stakes winners. So, yeah, you wow. know, if they're, they're going to leave good horses, they'll do it. Okay, so I'm I'm mindful of time. I, I just want to do some rapid fire word associations. So I'm going to say the name of a few other horses, and I want you to just shout out the first thing that enters your mind. So you up for that? <laughs> I'm not that quick, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with I do. Oh, great mare, you know, our most winningest mare. And uh, that day that she won the Lisa Chittick Foxbridge Plate was a, was pretty cool. Escada. Beautiful mare, just a lovely type, sensational producer. Not many mares leave uh, dual group one, uh, two group one winners. Incredible mare. Sacred Falls. Oh, big part of my heart. Um, bred, born here, raised, um, fortunate enough to get back into that racing. Uh, won two Doncasters in a, on, a, in a, on a period of uh, our family's life that was a bit tough. Gave us some great times in a, in a, in a difficult period. Sad to be lost. Alf. Yeah, he was a beauty. Crikey, you're going back a while. Um, first thing that comes to my mind with Alf is that unfortunately didn't make the slipper field, missed out by 10 grand um, in stakes, had had a $20,000 winning stake um, taken off him in a disqualification, which he should not have been disqualified, otherwise would have run in the golden slipper, won the champagne stakes. Um, my biggest memory that day was Roddy Schick at the after party vomiting off the balcony in, bon in Bondi. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, last one. Great command. Grew up in the same paddock. There was five weanlings when we took over this place. One of them was great command. One of them was O'Reilly. This is in the same paddock. One of them was Coach Maniac that was one of the best horses in, in um, Hong Kong. Um, winning that derby. When he won the derby here and the mare was to Soldi was only young, she was a cool mare. It was just like, wow, this is this is why we've taken on this opportunity mm. and taken on this punt of buying Waikato Stud. You know, Gary always said, if, you know, like we buy Waikato Stud, we take Centane up there, we get hold of their mares, it'll take us to another level. And, um, you know, when the, the, the following two years later, after taking over the farm, you know, you've got to, um, Derby winner off the farm, bred a Derby winner off the farm, and uh, got the mare. It was pretty cool. Really cool. And he 
he probably would have been horse of the year if it wasn't for O'Reilly. He was by Masque, and that leads me to your first outside gig as a young man at <laughs> Widden. Uh, I believe Gary called the 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 stud and said, "Look, I need you to take Mark off my hands. He's getting a bit rowdy." And then two days later, you rocked up in the Widden Valley. That must have been a shock to the system. Yeah, it was, and that's pretty much how it happened. He felt that there was a need for that to happen. I didn't at the time, but uh, <laughs> but but um, it was, you know, like it was it was an incredible time of 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 my life and let's say my horse life um it's an unbelievable place and I, I remember writing him a letter gary a letter afterwards and saying you know it was incredible to check up on saturday i'd probably arrived on thursday um <laughs> and seeing mares in the paddock like back in those days sunset girl and her dream appeal and whoever it was and whoever it was you know like it was it was quite incredible but through that time there um tim ferris um who was the farm manager at the time. He taught it. He taught us myself and David Tool, Tooley from Cambula. We still, we arrived on the same day, and um, he taught us a hell of a lot um, um, during work and after work. Um, <laughs> um, and Anthony was still at school. We're great mates. I think there's only about two or three people left in the in the world that uh, that know him as Zaz, and uh, that was his nickname when he grew up. And, um, you know, I used to, I used to, it was a bit hard for me to get off the farm and it's quite a wee way out. That's why Gary sent me there. And um, I used to give him a few bob to head back um, when he was out at the farm to, to buy me clothes to keep me going. So I had something to nice, nice to wear to the Scone pub. It didn't actually work, but, you know, it was worth trying. Have you ever dreamed about working with thoroughbreds or know someone who would jump at the opportunity? Well, here's your chance. With applications now open for the Thoroughbred Industry Careers Explorer Cadetship, a pathway into the thoroughbred breeding and racing industry through a 12-month education and practical training course. The 2022 intake commences on the 14th of February and is open to those between 18 and 24 years. Don't miss the opportunity. Did you go straight to Ireland after Widden or did you come back to the farm? Well, I think I came back to the farm briefly, but when I say briefly, it was only just for the call it the yelling sales or, or whatever and um yeah and then over over there i went and um that was great fun you certainly don't learn how to work over there um um but look i made some great mates played a bit of rugby over there um came back about 10 kilos heavy and luckily it was only 10 kilos because i only got onto the guinness in the last Two months. Gary Gary said that there wasn't a belt left on the on the stud that would fit you by the time you came back. And he also That's said right. with remarkable humility uh, that after that he figured there was no one else that could teach you better than he could. How's your yeah, father right. been as a mentor? Yeah, he's been like he's been incredible. There's there's probably more phone calls and more advice. Um, uh, seat now with Gary than um, than ever before, and uh, but he's been incredible. Those few sayings, you know, make a decision, make it work. You know, looking for a turn of foot, you know, taking take, taking the punt, taking the, the the evaluated punt and giving it a go. Um, that's basically how we live our lives. Words you live by. He's got his own unique brand of honesty, Gary. Uh, how did that change when you bought the farm from him? 
Um, yeah, it was an interesting period because it wasn't long after uh, we, 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 we I bought him out of the I bought him out of the business and that and you know and then unfortunately Lisa got sick and uh, a lot of my time was taken up with, with family and and with with her and you know taken into the states for immunotherapy treatment etc. And I was very lucky to have someone like Gary that could sort of step back in. And after that period, you know, there's a bit of grey area, obviously, how you're handling life and what's going on and whatever. Um, he probably found it a little bit harder to step back out. Um, but I don't know, just in the last couple of years, honestly, he's he's uh, he's in great form. He's great, he's great to have around and um, hopefully for a lot longer. You referenced the, the difficult passing of, of Lisa uh, from leukaemia. That must have been an incredibly challenging time. I mean, it's an incredibly challenging time to lose a loved one at any time. But you had three kids, you were doing this transition. How did you get through it, Mark? Yeah, actually, I just, that's a good question. You know, like probably that period of the illness and the treatment and that's probably part that sort of, you, you, I actually read a story about, um, you know, how your brain blocks out these sorts of challenges, but you can always go refer back to it. And there's absolutely no doubt about that. You know, like it's, mm. you sort of think, and I, and I think now um, I could never get through it again, but you know, your, your, your body, your mind, your brain, if you put yourself in the right position, I, I, I sort of, let's say, it wasn't that I kept myself fit, but I, like I just little things like I kept going to the gym. Um, it was time out, you know, like and it did, you know, kept me on form. And I just, I just, I don't know, I just kept I had the same. We've just got to drop the shoulder and go hard, and that's mm. and that's sort of let's say just what we did. Incredible, incredible support around me through, or around the whole family through the through the whole world. But you know, with people. Outside of family, you know, I've got we've got great mates. We really have, but you know, and you you, you shouldn't mention names, but I'm going to, you know, like uh, Anthony Thompson. You know, like just you know him coming out and helping out at crack, putting a Waikato stud shirt on. Um, yes, it was fun at the time, but man, it just meant so it's much. Huge. You know, Danny O'Brien, John O'Shea. You know, these they rang me every day. You know, just like how are you? All good? You know, like. It's all it needed to be, you know, like, and uh, and obviously the, the locals here. But, um, yeah, we just dropped the shoulder, went hard. And, you know, when it got got to the, the unfortunately, the final stages or, or, or when Lisa had passed away, you know, I always said to the kids, they were very young, but I said you can be all, always satisfied that we gave mum absolutely every opportunity. And we did. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Abs absolutely. I mean... Gosh, it was it was you threw everything at it. Has it has it yeah. changed your outlook? I mean, it seems trivial to talk about, it, but has it changed your outlook on the sport of kings at all? Oh, it's changed my outlook on life incredibly. Yeah. You know, like you know, we all get wound up about these little blimmin' things. I don't know what it is, but but to be honest, when you've been through a situation like that, there can be nothing worse, you know. And um, um you know, like the two things I took out of it is I know people lose lose their lives at unfortunate times and, and young and that sort of thing. Um, um, and she did. And also kids shouldn't lose their mother that young. And they did. But 
you know, I felt like I also felt like an old chook, like I had these kids under my bloody wings, and man, I was protective of them, and and you know, like and going on from that, you know, going on from that when when Pip became, um, also back involved in in, our, in my life because we had had a relationship in the Palms North days when mm. we were nineteen, those kids still wanted a mother mother figure. They were young enough for that. She she has been an incredible transition into that. I think she's more protective of those of these kids um, now than 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 what I am, and she's certainly uh, driven that they succeed. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, Lisa and I never spoke about it, but I know she spoke to a very close friend in, of ours and just said, "Just make sure whoever it is, look after those kids, and uh, you know, they couldn't be looked after any more than what they are." Yeah, ain't that the ain't that the truth? And and look, I I think from the outside looking in, that's really visible. And it, it's kind of it's flowed through to the whole mantra of the the Waikato stud outfit. Yeah, it family, family, family is is seems to be at the real core of, of everything you do. Yeah, and you know, um, this this I won't say that. Our game, the horse game, <laughs> prepared me for that. But there's so many highs and lows, and there's so many mm. lows, and there's so many disappointments in this game. You know, you, you've just got to learn to, to roll with the punches. And, and I always say to my family and my, my, my team here, as long as we've put 110% in, you know, nature will have its way and things will, things will happen. But as long as we can stand there and say we tried our best, and that's all that's all we can do. But – and as I say, it won't, um, it won't it, you know, you never prepare yourself for that, but certainly in this game with the highs and lows, um, um, you know, it, uh, you, you don't get used to it. You never get used to it, but um, it certainly, uh, let's say, helped. All right, finally, if you were made the Commissioner of Racing in New Zealand, what would you do on your first day? Some people might not like hearing this, but I'd sack half of them. There's too many of them. I'm going to say down there. There's too many of them running it with jobs that I don't even know how they come up with the titles, let alone have the job. It's costing too much to run it, um, and uh, the cost of running it should be cut. I'd leave the half that know something about racing and actually have some, um, you know, some blood and some sweat in the game, uh, some skin in the game. But I don't know how many of those that are that are down there and doing that. Is the that that said, is the tide turning in New Zealand? I mean, a lot was made in the Masara report a couple of years ago, and we're starting to see some of the recommendations uh, come into practice. It was looking pretty gloomy for New Zealand racing for for a while there. Are we starting to see the tide turn? Look, I, I really hope so. I, I just can't believe that you've got a guy with the experience um, and the manner of John Mazzara, that put his time and his effort and his money into that report that it's now finally taking its time to, to let's say, seep through. Mm. He, even offered, he even offered his time to chair the board and that wasn't taken on, taken on. And I just think there's some incredible people in this game that should be involved in running it, but unfortunately the process in getting them there is, um, is flawed. What What let's say, saves our ass. And the great thing about this country, I know I'm biased, but it's the, it's the best place in the world to, to, to breed and to rear these, uh, 
these animals and give them every opportunity to race. And 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 the New Zealand horse seriously punches above its weight. And the great thing for all of us is that three and a half hours on the plane, whether it's personal, which it can't be at the moment, but certainly horse, three and a half hours away is the best racing in the world. Well, Mark, I've really enjoyed today's chat. I, I appreciate the fact that you didn't mention the Bledisloe once. I know it's it's hard to do. Uh, but it's much appreciated. I know you've got a big season ahead of you and uh, I'd just like to say thank you for your time and good luck. Yeah, no, awesome. Thanks, Gus. We hope you enjoyed this episode of TDN OzNZ's Connections Cast, brought to you by Newgate, raising top-class racehorses. Make sure you subscribe to the Daily Edition to keep fully up to date on everything happening in the world of bloodstock and breeding on both sides of the Tasman. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your podcast service of choice so you never miss an episode. I've been Angus Rowland. See you next time.